Um, this week on Off the Shelf, my guest is Jodie Chapman. Jodie spent 12 years working as a photographer before returning to her first love of writing. She lives in Kent with her husband and three sons. Another Life is her first novel, and Anna, I'm sure you've seen it's absolutely everywhere. So welcome to the show, Jodie. Thank you, Phoebe. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So your first love was writing, but you did something else and then you came back to it. So I'm really fascinated by people who write around careers or family or all kinds of things. It's just finding the time. How did you find the time? Well, I'd always wanted to write. That was something that ever since I was at school, when I was at school, English was the only subject that I really gravitated towards and and felt that I really had any kind of natural ability at and so I always loved writing when I was at school and then I left education after A-levels I didn't go to university and I sort of fell out of you know I I couldn't I I did want to be a journalist at one point but that didn't happen for certain reasons so I um, I kind of just fell out of writing and I I got married quite young and my husband and I we bought a house when we were very young I, I was I think I was 20 when we got our mortgage. So I had to get a job essentially just to pay the mortgage. And I got a job working for local government calculating pensions. And it was the most boring job I have ever had. And <laughs> well, that we, I, had our, we all had our fair share of boring jobs. Oh my goodness. And I remember being in maths at school and maths just is not my strong point. And I'm the kind of person who, if I'm not very good at something and I'm quite good at recognizing what I'm not good at and what I am good at and if I'm not good at it I I there's something inside of me that sort of just thinks well there's no point in me really making a massive effort at doing this because I'm never going to be great at it so what's the point you know I've got a finite number of years to be alive I would rather just put all my focus on what I find interesting and what I, I have a knack for so I always hated maths at school and always swore I'd never do any kind of job that involved maths and then here I was at the age of 20 doing maths for a living and just hating it essentially and I remember saying to my husband um I I need to do something creative like I always thought going through school that I was very academic but actually I felt this real sudden need to be creative so I didn't think about writing actually I think I always thought of writing as being quite academic so I thought well I've always wanted to try photography Um, I went to a grammar school in in Kent and they're generally very academic and at the time they didn't do photography or anything like that so I'd never had the chance to explore that through education so I thought you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna teach myself photography and see how it goes so I kind of fell into that and I started shooting weddings and then 10 years later I hit 30 and you know it's that thing where you these big ages these big birthdays they they get you thinking don't they they get you thinking about your life yeah I'm coming up on a big birthday and I'm having the same are you yeah and I think that I think that is a really great thing actually what I love about birthdays is that it does sort of jolt you out of your day-to-day mundane life and it makes you think okay so how do I want you know, you look back over the last 10 years and you think, well, what do I want the, the next 10 years to include? So I thought, well, I I always loved writing. I'm going to write a book. And it's quite a random, sudden thought that I just decided to do it. <laughs> so I started, um, I, I, I did a three-month novel writing course in London with Curtis Brown Creative. And I was writing a very different book then. Um, and I just knew it wasn't really working. And that was fine. I mean, it was my first entry 
back into writing for 12, 13 years. So it, it was fine that it wasn't the right book, if that makes sense, because I had yeah. to, I didn't know what my voice was. I had to find my voice. And so that book, I definitely don't see as a failure. It allowed me to do that. That's really interesting. I had a, a debut author on and he says it's, he said it was weird to think of his debut book as people think of it as his book one, but for him, it's actually book seven because he's written, you know, oh. writing is littered with things you've started and then given up on or decided it wasn't working or changed. So I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. And I think, um, you know, even though I knew as I was writing the book that it wasn't that it wasn't working, I I still really enjoyed the process because it allowed me to discover what I wanted to say. And what I discovered that I wanted to say was not that book. <laughs> so it was actually really useful. Um, and then I had the idea for what would become another life. While I was writing that book, actually, it was a 1930s love story. And it was while I was writing that or trying to write that, that I had the idea for another life. So I sort of a couple of years went by, I had another son, I've got three sons now. And I just sort of thought when I was on maternity leave, I always I always get itchy feet when I'm on maternity leave. And I think it's it's my brain's way of thinking you need to do something creative, Jodie. Like you need to not lose yourself in nappies and clearing up food and just, you know, I, I, I'm so fearful of being so consumed by parenthood that I lose sense of myself. So I, every time I have a baby, I seem to sort of have this kind of creative urge. So I thought, well, I've had this idea for a book in my mind for the last couple of years. I'll just start writing that. So I, I just sat down. It was January 2019. And I love January because like those landmark birthdays, I love, you know, a fresh year, there's nothing really going on in January, which I love because then it's like a nice quiet time where I can just reflect. And I thought I'm going to start my book. So I wrote every day and I had a newborn. But the great thing about having a newborn is that they sleep a lot during the day. So I had hours while my older kids were at school where I could just get on with writing. So I kind of carved out the time every day to do that. Um, and then I had a first draft and then, you know, sort of went from there. So it, it was very much I'm quite good at carving out time that I need for myself. Like I don't see that as a selfish thing, if that makes sense. I think sometimes people see writing or doing anything for themselves as like a luxury. And I, you know, maybe I'm just a very selfish person, but I don't, I don't see it like that. I see it as if I don't make the time for that, I'm actually going to be a worse person because I will end up resenting the parts of my life that are not allowing me to, to be who I am. So, um, so yeah, I was, you know, I mean, of course you then have to sacrifice certain things. Like I don't do coffee dates and things when I'm writing, I don't meet up with friends very often. I'm, I'm just there in the zone writing. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to, you just have to find the time somehow. I think if, if that's what you really want to do, you, you sacrifice other things to just get on with it. Yeah. I've heard that a lot. You, you, you sacrifice, is it, it's sleep or, you know, I mean, mm. normally sleep, but sleep time with family, time with friends, you you sacrifice that for it. And I, I do get that um, because, you know, something has to give this, like you said, there's only so many hours in the day. So another yeah. life, is that your second book that you that you wrote? Because you've referenced another book. Yeah, so that 1930s love story that I was writing, first of all, I wrote about two thirds of that. I got to like 60,000 words and then I thought, 
okay, this isn't going to go anywhere. I, I know it's not going to work. It's not fashionable. Like that's the other thing. When I started writing that book, I didn't have any knowledge of the industry. I didn't have any sense of what editors were buying. Even I was much more into the classics than I was contemporary novels. So I didn't really have a grasp on any of that. So I kind of, which I think is, you know, I think it's that there's an interesting debate there whether I don't think you can write to a market, but I think you do need to have some awareness of what is being sold and what is popular at the time that you're writing, because you have to also enter that space and be published. And of course, as everyone knows, well, lots of people know in the publishing industry, they, they like to have comparison titles. So your book has to be X meets X. They have to, it's good if you have something new, but they still have to be able to compare it to something. Um, so I, I did really need to up my knowledge in the, you know, in about contemporary novels. So it wasn't the right book for, for writing. I mean, it, maybe it would have worked 30 years ago or something, but but not so much. It was a very kind of traditional book. Um, didn't really have any edge to it. So, But do you think it'll ever be something that you revisit? I mean, I think, and like I said, I was, I was speaking to someone else who, who'd written quite a few before they, they settled on one as their, their debut. And I said, oh, do you ever, do you ever look back and think I'll pick this up again? Yeah, I do you know what I don't think I would because I think there is truth to that idea that some people have when they're writing where they don't tell anyone about what they're writing about because they're very protective of the spirit of that book and they feel like if they talk about it too much to other people they'll lose the magic of it and they will feel as if there's nothing left to discover through the writing process and that's what I feel like with that book I feel like it it was useful for me. It served its purpose, which was for me to just, you know, I mean, some of the writing in it is like not good, but it, it served its purpose for me to sort of find out what I wanted to say and what I didn't want to say. And I'm done with that story now. I'm done with those characters. I'm, I'm always ready to move on to the next thing, which is why when I write, I like to write quite quickly and get it done because I'm worried about falling in love with the idea of the book before I finished it. So I, th I don't think I would ever revisit it. Also, I think because I wrote it um, five years ago now, I've moved on as a person, I've moved on in my life. And when I was writing that book, I was writing it in a way um, because the community that I was in at the time, I was, I was an active Jehovah's Witness and I knew I knew I couldn't write what I wanted to write while I was in that community because if I wrote a contemporary book that had sex and swearing in it that would be very shocking so I wrote a 1930s love story because I thought well I can write that without dealing with those things because there was still a stigma in the 1930s about about you know sex and swearing so I could I could avoid doing that but the reason what then happened was the book wasn't authentic it didn't feel truthful because I was hiding behind it so I don't think I'd ever want to revisit it because also it it would just take me back to a time in my life that I don't want to revisit if that makes sense. No it, it does make complete sense but I have to say the book you've written Another Life which was a BBC2 uh, book club pick uh, it's really it's really taken off are you I don't say are you amazed by the success because obviously you think you, you you must love love the book but have you been kind of touched with how well it's been received 
I have. I mean, the fact when I knew it was going to go on between the covers, I mean, when my editor rang me to tell me that I was in my garden, and I just started screaming. I just, I couldn't believe it. I was so overwhelmed that it was one of the, the books that was chosen. And yeah, I think, I mean, I was so also very overwhelmed by the comments that the panel, Sarah Cox and the celebrities who were on the show who read and discussed the book, they all universally loved the book, which was just so amazing. Um, so that I feel very, very lucky to have had that response. And then that, of course, you know, that that helped the book sort of shoot up quite quite a number of positions in the chart, which was amazing. So it's been very strange because I didn't know what to expect because this is my debut and I've never published a book before, so I didn't really know much about the industry, which I found quite frustrating because I'm quite a control freak. When I put my name on something, I want to sort of control it to a certain extent, and I obviously cannot do that. So it's been quite a good lesson for me. I mean, I'm quite good at letting the book go in the sense that I don't care if I get a bad review because... I've, I'm a big believer in how a book belongs to the reader. So if you're going to invest as a reader several hours of your time in a book, you should have the right to your opinion and to say what you think about it. Um, so I'm fine with bad, you know, with people having bad reviews of it, but I have been just amazed by the good re reviews of it. It's, it's been incredible. And I mean, it's been a pandemic, of course, so it's been a dif difficult year for everyone, but I think I've been told by a lot of people in the industry it's been really tough for debuts so so it has been hard so so things like this are just yeah I feel incredibly lucky to have had a boost like the Between the Covers book club show has been brilliant. Yeah that is that's really good and again congratulations on that it, it must be I, I would have screamed as well I, I completely understand that <laughs> but moving on to the, the first book that you've chosen as that's why you're really here so tell us about the book that changed your life so the book that changed my life is George Orwell's 1984. And I have to say, I'm so happy you chose this book because it's one of my favourites. Oh, really? Oh, great. People don't talk about it enough, I think. Yeah, and I think it's such, I mean, it's such an incredible book for many reasons. I mean, I, re I read Animal Farm. I studied that for GCSE. And oh, I also love Animal Farm. They're both great. Yeah, and I do, I do really like Animal Farm. I might reread it because I haven't read it since I was 16. And I, I did enjoy it at the time, but it was also that thing where, even though I loved English, I always had that thing where if, you, if you're told to read something, if you have to study something, it's hard sometimes to really enjoy it because you feel like you're being forced to. Like I'm very much, when it comes to films, books, anything kind of creative, I like discovering things for myself and in my own time. And of course at school, you, you're always on a teacher's schedule. And I've, I found that quite frustrating, but I will definitely revisit it. Cause I remember being fascinated by just, it's such an interesting book. And then 1984, I didn't read until probably eight, eight or nine years ago. And I mean, for me personally, it was quite eye-opening because, um, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's listening knows the book, but obviously it takes place in a world where freedom of speech is severely curtailed and you, you, can't, you can't be open about what you think and the thought police are listening in on everything you think. You can't go against Big Brother. And it really resonated for me for the religion that I was in, which I was raised in, which, I mean, I've got the greatest respect for 
people who are actually within the religion but I found the religion itself quite problematic sometimes because it was it, it made me think of 1984 when I read the book about how the focus was more on obedience to the religion and to the, the the leaders there was more focus on obedience than there was necessarily to the truth of a matter and questions were not encouraged um, you know I was taught because I grew up in this faith I was taught the answers to life's questions before I was old enough to ask the questions so if I asked the questions as I got older I would you know I would get blank faces of like well why are you asking this you you know the answers to this already we we have the answers and so when I read that book I just found it really interesting especially because I always felt like I didn't fit in within my faith I didn't I wasn't women have to fulfill a certain role within the religion they have to be meek and submissive and those are qualities that just do not come naturally to me and so I always struggled to really see how I could ever fit in within that faith and I always felt like the odd person out and I was known as quote-unquote a sister with opinions because women aren't really meant to speak up they're meant they're very much secondary to men it's an extremely patriarchal system and I never felt like I could be completely myself. So I really sympathize with the protagonist in 1984 who feels that he's constantly being watched and being judged. And then, you know, in fear of being found out and, and can't be honest. So I remember when I watched that and then I went to see it on the stage in London a couple of years later and it just blew me away. It was a very intense production and yeah, it was just, it, I just think it is such a mind-blowing book. Yeah, I completely agree. And I was the same as you. I read Animal Farm first and then came on later to, to 1984. And I, I think that's the right way to read George Orwell's books. I think if you went in reading 1984, you, especially I was similar to you, I was in my teenage years when I read it. So I think if you if you went in with 1984, you might think that's a bit heavy, but Animal Farm is like yeah. the, the lighter version, shall we say. And I, yeah, I, I love yeah, it. I, agree. And I think it's really good. And I think I didn't actually learn in school. Um, it was a book that my parents recommended to me. They must have bought oh, it for me. I can't really remember. But I do think it's one that should be taught more in schools. I mean, you look at some things that are happening and you're like, oh, yeah, George Orwell knew about this about, you know, nearly 100 years ago now. Yeah, I completely agree. I, that's definitely true. It is, it is definitely something that should be taught in schools. Definitely. I completely agree. And now on to another book, which I think is actually taught in schools, definitely taught in American schools. It's the book that makes you cry. Yes. So this is Toni Morrison's Beloved. And I mean, I, yeah, I think it is taught in school in America. And I, I think it should be taught in every school I think it's the most incredible book I read it about two years ago I got it out from the library it was just after she died actually and um, there was quite a long waiting list for it but I just thought well I'll, I'll, I'll get on the waiting list and then when it when it comes I'll, I'll read it then and it just blew me away it was I mean I know that's a really <laughs> that's a phrase that's said so often but it's definitely one of those books that I will never forget. I will, I will never forget the time that I read that book because it was before, obviously, the, the terrible events last summer with George Floyd and, and things like this had been happening already, but it didn't have the attention that the George Floyd murder brought. 
but I remember reading it and just being so so struck like I had to put the book down several times just to compose myself because it's for anyone who doesn't know it's it's about um it's about a woman who has been freed from slavery in America so it's after the civil war and this is obviously you know what happened when you think about it about how black people had been constrained by slavery for so long and then all of a sudden they were emancipated and they were expected to just integrate into society and and deal with the, the sudden freedoms that they had and the inability that that she has to do that and she's also wrestling with the um the spirit that she feels very close of her dead child and it's just incredibly emotional and you read about the experiences of chain gangs and what would happen to them and it made me so angry it made me so angry reading it in a in a way that was that was absolutely right like there are certain books that I think that should stir you and should just make you cry in frustration and think this is just so wrong this is so wrong and I think in light of then what happened last year I feel really glad that I read it so recently because it is it's so fresh in my mind and I think it's a book you know I hate to say the word worthy because that you know and everyone should read this book because that often makes puts people off because they then feel like oh it's something I should do I don't want to but I can honestly say it was such a visceral spiritual experience for me reading that book and I've I rarely cry at books actually but that just made me just sob it was incredible she is an incredible writer and one of my favorite facts about Toni Morrison is when she wrote her first novel I think it's her first novel The Bluest Eye she would set her alarm and get up at 4am every day she had a day job she had I think she was a single mother to two or three children so she would set her alarm at 4am so she'd get up and write and I just wow amazing she's an amazing writer yeah that is that that is amazing I mean I wish I'd read more of her and known more about her when she was alive to be honest because um yeah I've got a I've got I've got her back catalogue to discover now which is just fantastic I love it when that happens, when there's a writer who they're kind of on your periphery, but you haven't read anything of theirs and then you do. And then you're suddenly like, oh, how have I not experienced this yeah, before? Totally. No, I, I completely, yeah. I'm, I can tell we're in very firm agreement. <laughs> the third book you've chosen is the book that got you through a difficult time. And I actually hadn't heard of this book. So tell us all about it. Yeah, so Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet, which is a tiny, um, I've given mine away to a friend now, so I, I, I need to buy myself another copy, but it's one of those little black, um, little black penguin books that you can get that, were, that are only a pound. And I was in London and found that um, in a bookshop and just thought, oh, that's nice and short. I can read that on the train home. And it, it's, it's these letters that he wrote to um, a young poet who was who wanted well he wanted to be a poet and so he was he was giving him advice but it's it's filled with such brilliant wisdom that I think it it's relevant not just to the process of writing and finding yourself as a writer and discovering what it is you want to say but just in terms of life life wisdom it's 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 incredible I mean it's so it's so small I don't think it's even a hundred pages um but it's 
I remember there was one part and, and I read it at the time that I was in the process of stepping away from my faith. And it's, it's an incredibly hard thing to step away from the Jehovah's Witness religion. It's an extremely insular faith. And you are, because you are encouraged to not have any contact, really any meaningful contact with people who are not within, who are not in the faith, it means that your community is entirely within the religion. And so if you do want to step away from that, you don't really have a support network outside the faith. So that was the case for me, but I knew that I, uh, my doubts were too great that I couldn't continue within it and I couldn't raise my children within it when I, there were too many question marks on so many of the rules. But the majority of my family were within the faith. So there was the, I was dealing with the, the difficulty of stepping away from not just my life, but all of my family who was still within it and dealing with that. And when I read this again, it was quite a spiritual experience. There was, there was a certain part that just really stays with me where he, he says to the young poet who's written to him about how he shouldn't worry about finding the answers, that it is enough to live the questions and the answers in effect will, will take care of themselves. And that just, I mean, I could not have underlined that sentence more. It, it resonated with me so much as I was in the process of stepping away from something that had told me all my life what the answers were. And of all of a sudden I was leaving that world and going out into a world that I'd always been told was bad, always been told would hurt me. And leaving it and going out into this world was, it was very scary because I'd been told all my life how dreadful it was. So I had to, I had to discover things for myself. And there were certain parts of me that thought, well, I'm, I'm surely leaving a world of certainty, even though it, it didn't completely make sense to me. There were answers there and I'm walking out into this world where I have no answers and I've got to find them for myself. So reading that really resonated because I thought, you know what, it's, it's true. All I can do is just live the questions and hopefully I will find some kind of peace within myself in time. I mean, the whole reason I set up this podcast was to listen to people talk about books, but I could listen to you talk about this book all day long. <sighs> really really selling it for a book that, that I've never heard of so oh well get my Phoebe get it it's one pound you've got to take a risk go for it it's so good one pound well spent I think yeah so moving on to the next book you've chosen the first book that you remember being read to you yeah so this is Hiawatha by Longfellow and I have real memories of this um, my dad used to read this to me as a kid and I it, it was in this really old heavy hardback book it was it was a Longfellow book and Hiawatha was just one of many stories and poems within that volume and it lived on a shelf in the hallway and every night my sister and I would get in bed and this was probably only for about a couple of years but to me it, it's so bright in my memory that it seems to sort of encompass my entire childhood and and I would we would we would put the lamp on and then I'd call to my dad and, and say, okay, come and read to us now. And then he'd come in and he'd bring this book. And I think maybe he had been read it by his dad and he would just sit on our bed and, and read Hiawatha to us. And something about that, I wasn't particularly close with my dad when I was younger, growing up. We had, we're, we're very similar temperaments and we, we clashed a lot. 
and he he wasn't although he was there with my mum he he wasn't the most present of of dads um and that's not you know he would totally agree with that we're, we're much closer now than we were when I was younger and so for me that book is it just has an emotional weight to it because it it completely transports me although I don't really remember much about the story it's when I hear the name Hiawatha or Longfellow, immediately I am there. I am a child again, sitting in bed. My dad, who, you know, I completely loved, but we weren't particularly close emotionally, reading this story to me. And it just, yeah, it's just a book that completely transports me. And, you know, those, those years when you're a kid, I think they never quite leave you, do they? That's why, of course, when, you know, as you get older, um, people who suffer from dementia or Alzheimer's, they're, they're back in those childhood years because they're the neurons that we have trampled the most in our brain. They're, they're so bright that they never quite leave us. And, and if people who suffer from those things just inhabit that world again. So, um, yeah, it just, it, yeah, just reminds me of being a kid. I love the way that books can transport you and that's I think that's why I'm drawn to I mean my friends listen to to this I'm not much of a a movie person or you know music I could take or leave but books I I just love and it's it's partially for that reason when you read a book you're transported if it's a book you read before you're transported to where you were when you first saw it on the shelf or read it and books can carry Mm. so much significance definitely yeah I mean I that's the great thing about creativity I think things that you discover and you you come to it and it's not just the author's voice you bring your own voice to it as the reader because of course when you read a book you're it's reflected through your own experiences and your own imagination and that that is the kind of writing that that I'm personally drawn to as well are writers who don't tell you everything who don't fill in every gap but allow there to be silences between the words so that the reader has to do some of the work because I, th- I feel like when you do that as the reader that book resonates more it it becomes more personal because you're having to infer the meaning yeah no I uh yeah I agree we're having a, a, a big chat about agreeing at the moment <laughs> coming on to your final book the book that makes you happy tell us which book you've chosen so I've chosen um, a classic. I've just realised actually that all of my books, none of them are contemporary novels, which does say a lot about my tastes. I mean, I do like some contemporary novels, but um, I, I am drawn to the classics. So this is John Goldsworthy's The Foresight Saga. Now, which... I have to say, before I let you go on, this is okay. a book that, well, I say it's a book. I have watched the series. I'm talking the yeah. 2002 one with Damien Lewis in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this was based on a book until maybe a year ago and it's okay my mum was very ill so we were watching things like this uh so like Forsyth Saga like Miss Marple that kind of thing and I didn't know this was based on a book until she told me so I'm really interested to hear why you love the book well I came to the book on the back of the 2002 tv show so I watched the 2002 tv show and just loved it and I actually watch it every year because I love the story so much. I've always really enjoyed sagas. I've always enjoyed stories about families because I feel like there are so many dynamics there that are universal, that we can all identify 
identify with you know even if we read about another family that's not not our own very often the dynamics are very similar to our own experiences of being in a family and I just love I, I especially love books and well obviously it was in the series that I first watched it but the, the book itself is huge I mean it's I think it's like actually three separate books but it's put together so it's it becomes the foresight saga and it stretches from the 1870s I think through to the 1920s and I love that because you're reading about a family over that period of what 50 years and it it takes place they're a wealthy family and they live in like Hyde Park London and it you're just taken through not only the lives of this family but against this backdrop of a changing London and a changing world because of course the first world war plays into that and everything about their life and their status quo is changing and of course that's you know a novel really is all about change is all about that moment of change and this book just has it in spades it's it starts off in Victorian times and sort of ends in modernism and what I love about it so I read the book after I'd watched the show and I love Victorian literature anyway I'm a huge fan of it I love the era I love wandering around London and walking the back streets and looking at the grimy brick of Victorian buildings and just imagine you know the women in their huge dresses and just imagining the, the life and bustle of that city and how it changes you know all the fashions change but the city itself those buildings are still there and I read the book and it just reminded me of something like EastEnders like this just sprawling stories that all take place these interweaving with each other and yeah it just you know all these scandals so there's there's a scandal because someone runs off with their governess and then the family no longer talk to that person. And, and when I think about how all these people, because of course these kind of scandals used to happen a lot back then, how all these people are now dead and none of those things matter anymore. All these things that we create dramas about when we're alive, the reason why we no longer talk to certain family members because they've offended us in some way. And we forget that one day our life is going to end. And so we're not going to have any chances to, to make it up or to have a drink with that person again. And I just find that really fascinating. It's a story that is very of its time with all the scandals and the stigmas around certain things. And none of it matters. Like, I just, I always find that fascinating. Like, if I watch that show, Who Do You Think You Are? And you discover these things that these people went through and, and you just think, people think they have forever. You know, they, they think they've got forever. They're never going to die, really. I mean, we do think we're going to die, but it's in a very abstract way. But one day our time will run out. And I, what I love about books like The Foresight Saga is I'm just reading this, this tale about this family and I'm so there with them. But I'm also, of course, reading it in the context of 2021 and how this is like over 100 years later. So, of course, it gives you a different lens through which you read that book. And I feel like then it makes me happy reading it because it allows me to be conscious of my own life and how I want to live my life and whether I want to fall out with people, you know, that I love. Um, and I, th I feel like that's what books can do is even if you read something that is 100 years old, it, you still look at it through the lens of your own life, if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. And I totally get what you mean. You just kind of sometimes you look back and you think, why was it such a big deal, for example, that people were born out of wedlock? 
I mean, mm. it really matter that much. And luckily, we've got to place in society where it doesn't. It, it it's just something that is unremarkable now. So yeah, so like I said, I've enjoyed the series. So maybe I need to to graduate to the book. Yeah, it's big. It's big. So maybe you know, it's like it's, it's like people say that about Middlemarch about how it's one of those books. Like, oh, I've got to get to Middlemarch. Foresight Saga is sort of the same, but I uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Interesting. Okay. Maybe, yeah, maybe I do need to read it. I haven't actually read Middle March either, so maybe I shouldn't say that too loudly where people can hear me. But, uh, so of the five books you've chosen, what's your number one all-time favourite? Um, out of those, I think... I think I'd probably say... Like, the one that I could read over and over again would be The Foresight Saga. Um, I think the one that has the most personal resonance for me would be 1984, just because of how it reflected my own life back to me. Perfect. Great choices. So on to the final stage of the podcast. There are five quick fire questions and then you're done. Question number one, fiction or nonfiction? For reading, um, definitely fiction. Do you read any nonfiction? I do read some, but I I find it quite hard to retain information when I read nonfiction. Um, I don't know whether this is just since having kids or not, but my brain is often soup. And when I read nonfiction, I can I can read something and love it and underline it. And then I'll finish the book and I will have forgotten all the salient points <laughs> that I sort of committed to memory. Whereas when I read fiction, I always remember stories and so I, you know, I feel like I can, I, I get information in a much better way through fiction and it stays with me. So I'm definitely more drawn to fiction. Interesting. Okay. So question number two, how often do you finish your book? Do you, do you read kind of one a month, two a month? Um, it varies. I'm, the book I'm reading at the moment, I've been reading for a couple of weeks because I've had a really busy few weeks. But sometimes, you know, if I have a quiet week and I, I'm quite a slow reader, I'm not a speed reader. And I I love to I love to try and find every clue. So I can't skim read. You know, if you get if I get to a, a, a paragraph and there's loads of description, I can't. Some people just skip it and move on. And I can't do that because I feel like I'm going to miss potentially you know vital information and then it will defeat the purpose of reading the book so I do take quite a while to read but if I'm really loving a book and I have quite an empty week I can read it in about four days or so and that's reading for a couple of hours a day I can't really read more than two hours a day I don't think I don't I would start to you know I yeah I couldn't read that much I would get itchy feet I think and I'd have to get up and walk around but two hours is a good chunk for me so Sometimes maybe three or four days, but other times it's normally a couple of weeks. And kind of feeding into that, the third question, what's your favourite place to read? So my favourite place to read is two places. So either in my garden, I'm really lucky. I have a lovely garden that faces fields and the, the downs in the distance. Um, and so I love to sit out there surrounded by trees and being on my own <laughs> because I can't concentrate on a book if I've got my kids running around or anything because obviously they're always calling me and I, I need to really concentrate when I'm reading. Um, and if I'm inside, I have 
a certain armchair that I've plonked right by a picture window in my lounge. And that gives me the same view, but inside. So during the colder months. And I and I just love sitting there and feeling like I've got this view, which doesn't really distract me, but it's just a comfort having it there, if that makes sense. No, I, it completely makes sense. And I love a good view, so I can't fault mm. you on that one. So question number <laughs> four, what's your favorite independent bookshop? So my favorite independent bookshop is well, I love Book Bar in Highbury, which I just oh, went I'm to. I'm so jealous that you've been. It opened, I think, either just before or during lockdown, and I haven't been, and I'm very jealous. Oh, it's so it's so nice. And Chrissy, who runs it, she really got behind another life. She read a proof, and then when it came out, she's really pushed the book. And I did an event with another author and for them. And then when I went to London last week, I it was the first time I'd been to London in in a year or so and yeah since before the pandemic and I I made a beeline to go there and it's so great because it you can have you can sit outside which is what I did I met a friend there for a drink and we like just chatted for hours and just like had snacks and then we went in and bought books and it's just such a great space I mean I love the the, the fusion of books and wine and books and coffee it's just it makes perfect sense. You've got to go. It's so great. Well, if Chrissy's listening to this and she wants to come on and a guest, I would love to welcome welcome her on. And it is, I always see it, and I, I really do want to go, but uh, just it just hasn't happened yet. But I think you know a visit definitely must be on the cards. But definitely. I, uh, in my personal life, I currently have some professional exams going on, so I'm trying to not buy any more uh, or do anything book related until after then. Because if not, I will just fall down a book rabbit hole. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, and the final question of the whole podcast, what book are you most looking forward to reading next? Hmm, so I've got quite a few library books out of I mean, don't we all? We all have. I know. If I stacked up my entire pile of books to be read, it'd be about two or three times the height totally. of Totally. Totally. And um, I, I've just read a couple of proofs that I really enjoyed. Um, but I think one book that I'm really looking forward to reading is um, Will Storr's next book, The Status Game. I don't know if you know him. He wrote um, The Science of Storytelling. So I, he, he writes nonfiction. I, I've heard of that book, but I didn't know he was the author of that book. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's, science and storytelling is brilliant. It's it's similar to John York's Into the Woods. Well, actually, it's not really similar. I mean, there's certain aspects that are. Well, I actually um, have um, Into the Woods on my shelf to read. I haven't read it yet, but I, I'll get there as oh, I love as it. every every yeah. bookworm says all the time. Yeah, I, I mean, I love both books and science and storytelling. Really, that actually did stay with me, and I have kept, I've retained some of that information. But he writes a lot. Um, he's really good on writing about human beings and how how they're essentially tribal and how our, our primitive urges are to um, cling to people who are similar to us, who reflect back to us what we think we already are and how, you know, the, the sign of, a, I mean, I like to think the sign of a being conscious and trying to move on from those evolutionary urges is to not be tribalistic and, and try and, um, 
align or, or open ourselves to experiences that are completely unlike us. But he's really, I've, I'm reading his book Selfie at the moment, and it's all about how the West is self-obsessed and why that has happened and why we've all become so fixated on social media. And he just writes in a really interesting way about human beings and what are what, what we are at the core. And he does it through in a way that I feel is really interesting in terms of my own writing and allowing me to understand the fundamentals of character and how to inhabit those characters by really understanding how we work on a base human level. So his next book, I'm not sure when it's coming coming out, but it's called um, it's called The Status Game. I think it's called The Status Game. I think it's called The Status Game. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. How interesting. No, I've definitely heard of that book, but like I said, I didn't know it was by him. So I'll add that to my shelf after my exam, because if not, I will just die in a pile of, uh, you know, there'll be like a book tsunami and I'll just die under them. Just <laughs> I won't be able to get out. But yeah, no, that sounds a really interesting book. We've reached the end of the show. Thank you so much for coming on. And I know, obviously, uh, Another Life has only just come out, but like as you said earlier you you wrote it um a while ago now are you is there a second novel underway so I wrote my second book last year during the first lockdown and edited it later on that year so so book two's done um and I'm now working on book three so I I, I feel like I've got to um I feel like I've got so many years to catch up on of not writing that I'm sort of bursting with stories and I, I can't get them down quick enough, to be honest. No, that's that is, that's completely fair enough. And I'm actually really impressed you wrote in, in lockdown. I don't know how you did it. That's so hard. Well, I, I think for me, um, lockdown was not too dissimilar to my regular life because I, I love being at home anyway and because when I'm writing, I tend to not do a lot socially. Um, although it meant of obviously when we were on lockdown that the schools were shut and so my kids were around all the time. At the same time, creatively, it didn't, I didn't feel like I was, you know, at an impasse. Like I could, I, I, it was totally normal to me to be at home in my own space writing. And I'm, I'm an, introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert either or I'm like equally outgoing and equally shy so I quite like being at home anyway in my own space where I don't have to be something that I maybe not or feel that pressure to be what other people want me to be so yeah and I think as well for the story that I've written for my second book it's it's different to another life it's not a sequel or anything but it's um I had been thinking about that for a year as well. So I tend to have quite a long gestation period for my books where I spend quite a long time thinking through them in my head. So by the time I sit down to write, it sort of just pours out because it's already in there. I am now, it's like a ball of string. I just kind of have to tease it out and then it, it just flows. That's really, I mean, I keep saying it's really interesting, but it's been so interesting to listen to you. Like I said, I'm fascinated by people who write around day jobs and lives and how people kind of structure their writing process. So that's really interesting to know. And I do have a lot of uh, wannabe writers who, or aspiring authors, as, as I should say, who do listen to this. So I think they'll find that really helpful. Great. Well, that's all we have time for now. Thank you so much for coming on, Jodie. And if anyone, um, 
has enjoyed hearing from you and wants to know more about you, where can they find you on social media? So I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm probably on Instagram more than I am Twitter, but it's at Jodie Chapman, or one word. So on there. Great. And I'll put a link down in the show notes. Thank you so much. Have a lovely evening for listeners. We're recording this on, I think it might be the hottest day of the year. It's very yeah. hot today. <laughs> it's very hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So have a lovely rest of the evening. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Phoebe. Thank you.